the way we think is how we're going to act. That's why thinking precedes action. Before you do any kind of action, you think about what you're going to do. If your thinking is faulty, then the action will be faulty. If your thinking is good in line, say, with, with sound principles and in line with natural law, then your action is going to be good. So thinking is very important. It's not to be overlooked how we think, how we believe, what we believe, what we confess of what we believe, the philosophy that we live in life. Everyone has a philosophy that they live in life, whether they know it or not. And a lot of it, people think, well, my philosophy comes from myself. No, it probably comes from the world. You probably picked up something from the world and you're living that. So a lot of times we live other people's philosophy, such as secularism. Secularism is a, it's a philosophy that was made up. If you, if you read like the history and the origin of it, it was an actual person that made up the word secularism, which means that you hold everything secular, nothing is sacred. That's what secularism means. And so you have to watch the philosophies of the world because it can seduce you, it can deceive you. Some of them are from demonic spirits. You have to watch it. You have to be very careful. And as Jesus said, you have to be as clever as a snake and as innocent as a dove. And so you have to watch it, especially the philosophies of today, because there's so much, because we live in an information society, and things are just bombarding us left and right. And so it's so easy to fall into error today. Matter of fact, they, they say that all the heresies that existed from the beginning of the church are now in our modern society. All the heresies, not just one, all the heresies. So that word heresy, what does that mean? It actually means to choose something that's contrary to orthodox belief, to the true teaching. So it's contrary to the truth, it's a lie. It's a lie. So in, in you know, religious definition, it's a person that has willful, I looked this definition up actually, right before, as I was seeing my preface, like what does heresy actually mean? It means a willful and persistent, persistent, a, a willful and persistent unbelief or, or, or lack of belief in the in a teaching of a church or a false belief in the teaching of the church by a member of the church. That's the thing about it. So it's not someone from the outside of the church. It's someone from the inside of the church. And if you ever study the histories of heresies in the church, it's usually by someone who's very intelligent. A stupid person cannot think of a heresy. You always know a heresy because it's very difficult to understand. There's unclarity. When there's unclarity, you know you're entering into heresy. When there's orthodox teaching and belief and truth, it's so simple that a child can grasp it. So the truths of the church are simple enough that a child could grasp it. Not, not the underlying meaning of the truth, but just the surface of the truth itself. Heresies are very difficult to understand. 
That's why they're, they're, it's rarely preached here because they're very difficult to understand. It's like well, this and that, and it's like you get all mixed up trying to figure out the heresy. That's how you know that's a lie. It's an untruth. And heresies are very dangerous because it's usually from someone in the church. And a lot of times over the history of the church, a heresy was usually by a bishop or by a theologian. So it was usually someone who was very intelligent, maybe someone who was living a so-called holy life. And then people started following that teaching, a group of people, and hundreds of people and thousands of people, until the church needed to respond by an ecumenical council. Council. So all the first ecumenical councils of the church were responses uh, to combat heresies in the church because of these unbeliefs in the church that were being taught. So the first seven ecumenical councils had to do with one question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if you think about it on your own, don't think about it on your own because that's where you fall into heresy. Because if you start thinking about who Jesus is. So there, there was, it was big in the church that they were trying to figure out, okay, Jesus is God, Jesus is man. You know, he's divine, he's human. And so they started asking questions, well, how divine is he? Is he really fully divine? Is he half divine? Is he a quarter divine? Just, uh, does he just appear to be divine? How human is he? Is he half human? Is he fully human? And when he assumed human nature, that's a term the church uses, did his divinity overcome his humanity? You know, was his humanity sucked up by his divinity? Or did, did, did he lose his divinity over time? Was he divine from eternity? Was, did he begin to become divine? All these questions. See, see how you can enter into heresy? Just by asking these questions, you can really go into heresy. And they did. I, I actually found a book when I was in the seminary in the library to find out how many heresies were there, because we just hear about the major heresies in the early church. And how many heresies were there, were there actually in the early church? And I think up until like the Council of Nicaea, there were over 200 heresies in the church. Two hundred heresies. So they were fighting heresies all the time. Even St. John's Gospel was fighting the, the very first heresy, which was called Gnosticism, which means knowledge, in which people believe that they had this, this higher knowledge, this esoteric knowledge above other people. And that was this secret knowledge that only the enlightened could receive the secret knowledge, and no one knew this knowledge. Baloney. But you know what? It exists today in the New Age. It exists today in the New, where people are seeking this esoteric knowledge because they deny Judeo-Christianity, and so they go and seek this knowledge and these rituals and everything. And it's all by demonic spirits. It's all demons. Say what you want and what you want. You know, talk with exorcists. Talk, talk with exorcists how people get possessed. 
not possessed, possessions rare, but how they, how they get oppressed. A lot of times it's through the occult, it's through new age, it's through seeking this higher knowledge that's not the, the true knowledge and wisdom of the person of Jesus Christ. That's why it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. When you start seeking knowledge, you start seeking power away from Jesus Christ. You get into all kinds of trouble. What people are into now. They get into all kinds of, uh, of trouble. So don't seek it. Seek the little baby. It's much easier. It's much easier. It's much more simple. You don't have to figure it all out. Church has it right here in the catechism, the truth. And so one of these heresies, this is the one that St. Basil, St. Gregory Nazianzen fought, St. Athanasius, St. John Chrysostom, all these wonderful fathers of the church fought this heresy. One of the most popular ones that, that, that lasted for hundreds of years, actually, and was condemned by the first council of Nicaea was called Arianism. And it was by a bishop, Arius, was the one who formulated this doctrine. So what did Arianism teach? Arianism basically taught, it did teach that Jesus was, was truly a man, but that he was not truly God. I'm putting it in simple terms. I'm not going to use all the Greek terms, the homoousios and homoousios. You'll be like, Father, it, I name a coffee. I have no idea what you're talking about. So basically, Arius thought that Jesus had super divine powers, like, a, like Superman. Like he's got these super divine powers, but he's not God. See that? So he gets these superpowers from God, like a Superman, is able to do all these miracles, so he did not deny all the miracles and everything that Jesus did, but that it did not come from him himself as fully divine. It was a heresy. Because you take that to its logical conclusion, you start denying that Jesus is not truly God. Yeah, and you fall into all kinds of heresies. Because then how could he save us if he's not truly God? If, if he can't raise our human nature up to divine nature. saying so raise us up to another existence. And so this Arianism had spread all around the Eastern Church and was fought by good theologians, bishops, such as St. Basil, St. Gregory Nazianzen, who in the teachings of the church, they always taught Jesus is truly human and truly divine. And that his divine origin, we could say origin, he's begotten by the Father. He's always been divine. He's always God. It was not like he became God once he became human. No, he was, he's always God. And the thing is, the humanity of Jesus, him becoming human, so that means him having a human mind, human will, human soul, a human heart, every human characteristic, 
does not affect his divinity. See that? So the fact that Jesus cries when he's a baby does not affect his divinity. None of his humanity affects his divinity. He still is divine. He still is the second person of the Holy Trinity. So let me read to you from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, lest I fall into heresy, because sometimes it's, it's difficult preaching about this off the cuff. It's in 465 in the Catechism, about Jesus, true God and true man. It says, the first heresies denied not so much Christ's divinity as his true humanity, Gnostic docetism. From apostolic times, the Christian faith has insisted on the true incarnation of God's Son come in the flesh. So there were also heresies denying his humanity, saying that he was divine but not human. So you can flip-flop either way in the church, and that's what you'll find with heresies. Either they flip-flop with too much divine or too much human. But it's both. But already in the third century, the church and a council at Antioch had to affirm against Paul of Samosota that Jesus Christ is Son of God by nature and not by adoption. So he taught that Jesus was adopted by God the Father. No, he was not adopted. He's by nature the Son of God. The first ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325 confessed in its creed that the Son of God is begotten, not made of the same substance, homoousios, as the Father, and condemned Arius, who had affirmed that the Son of God came to be from things that were not, and that he was from another substance than that of the Father. And, th and that's why I, I put it easy for you. It, just think of Superman. That's who Arius thought that Jesus was, was a Superman. So how can we formulate this doctrine, and it says in 464, the unique and altogether singular event of the incarnation of the Son of God does not mean that Jesus Christ is part God and part man, nor does it imply that he is the result of a confused mixture of the divine and the human. He became truly man while remaining truly God. Jesus Christ is true God and true man. During the first centuries, the church had to defend and clarify this truth of faith against the heresies that fashioned it. So think about that. Jesus is truly God and truly man. So now if you think that, and that's the orthodox teaching of the church, he's truly God and truly man, then how do we act? So if he's truly God, then that means I can come to Jesus with all my problems and worries and things that are human. And because he's truly God, he's truly divine. He's the one that can handle all these problems. I can't. You see that? So when you have trials, tribulations in your life, you have relationships that are difficult, or you see the world, you watch the evening news, you ever do this? You watch the evening news and you become so angry and frustrated. And you're like, God, why don't you do anything? He's God. See, that's what we should always do after watching the evening news. Turn to God. He's divine. If you don't think Jesus is divine, then you'll never turn to him. But if you believe he's truly divine, then you'll turn to him. And so you'll turn to him for everything 
even for your own life, that he's divine so that he can work with me. He can heal me. He can do things I can't do because of his divine nature. Now, on the flip side, Jesus is truly human. So lest you think that, well, God is just, you know, as you see this mural, the turning, God is just up there eating popcorn, watching, you know, TV, and he doesn't really care about us. He's far from us. Or, or you could do pantheism. Well, God is the tree, so I'm going to worship the tree. No, he's not a tree. He's not a tree with the trunk and leaves. That he's human, like us. So that means he knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like to have, say, heat or cold in his life. He knows what poverty is like. He knows what it's like to be a refugee or an immigrant in another country because he went to Egypt. He understands that when you don't know the language and it's very difficult, you don't know the culture. He understands, he understands suffering. He understands what it's like to eat and sleep. He understands what it's like to work with our hands and try to make and then meet, as we say in English. He understands all those human characteristics. Jesus has a heart like ours. He, he has a soul, a will. He's got a mind. So he's, he, as it says in Hebrews, he's like us in all things but sin. And so lest we fear the divinity of God, that sometimes people just fear God because they, they fear that they're going to be punished. It's fear that prevents people from going to church more than anything else. You know that? It's fear. And so what's there to be afraid of, of a little baby who comes to us, who humbles himself, who is fully human, like us in every way, He's got little hands who twiddles with his little hands and his little feet, who smiles at us, who's radiant with light and joy. Notice that Jesus, both in the crib and on the cross, his hands are out. He's always willing to accept us. Even as we are, even in our brokenness, he's always there, hands out, ready to welcome us. Lest we be too fearful of the divinity of God, that's why Jesus appears as human, so that we won't fear to come to him, so that we can come to his humanity and talk to him, have a conversation with him heart to heart. And as we come to his humanity and he works with us, then he allows his divinity to heal us. So both divinity and humanity are working together with us. And that's why Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. You see that? How thinking can lead to good action. And so we always want to stay with the true teaching of the church, the true thinking of the church. If you don't know it, if you can't figure it out, just get out your catechism and say, I just believe everything the church teaches. That's it. I don't have to think about it. That's it. True, true God, true man, fully God, fully man, fully divine, fully human. I believe in it. That's it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to enter into heresy.
And when you do that, and that's why we profess the creed on Sundays. It's the Nicene Creed. It comes from the Council of Nicaea. That's why when we profess the creed, we say, I believe in this. I may not fully understand it. I may not fully understand the terms, but I believe in it. I make an ascent of faith in the church. And there have been Christians that have died for this belief and that are still dying for this belief today in Nigeria right now. Many Christians dying for this belief. And it's amazing. It's amazing. The martyrs of old and even the martyrs of today dying for these beliefs. You know you believe when you're able to die for these beliefs. And many, and like St. Basil, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, they would have died for this belief. That they love Jesus so much. They love God so much. They love the church so much. They would have died for this belief. So let's ask for that faith. Always ask for that gift of faith. If you, if you doubt, if you're having difficulty, ask for the gift of faith. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. You can always ask for it. You can always ask the Holy Spirit to clear up your mind, clear up your doubts, and assent to the truths of the church, of the faith, that Jesus Christ is truly God, and he's truly human, and he's come to us to save us and to bring us new and everlasting life. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.